Today on Golden Girl Sports, we'll talk about the sweet science. No, not baking cheesecake. Marcus Allen. Mike Tyson. Extra innings. The tight end decoys, so it looks like we're running a draw play. Magic Johnson. Bobby Old. Tampa Bay Bucks. And they're off! The pig takes the lead! The chicken... Fifth Around the Ropes premiered on March 4th, 1989, the 18th episode of the Golden Girls' fourth season. It was written by Kathy Spear and Terry Grossman, who are also co-executive producers of the show, and directed by Terry Hughes, who helmed most of the series' first five seasons. In the episode, Sophia takes $3,000 the girls had saved for a certificate of deposit and uses it to buy a boxer at the bus stop. Not a dog, but a Cuban prizefighter named Pepe, who speaks no English and has his sights set on a rival named Gonzalez in their upcoming fight. There's a $10,000 guaranteed purse, which would allow the girls to almost double their money, even after Pepe and the promoters take their cuts. Still, the roommates are skeptical. Ma, that's it. Forget it. Take him back. To where? Customer service? <laughs> Besides, I believe there's no return clause on fighters. Unless you're Robin Givens. <laughs> we'll get back to Robin Givens and her volatile ex-husband a little later. In the meantime, Pepe trains at the house under Sophia, who proclaims she has a background in the sport. Jab, left, jab, jab, left. Well, what are you doing? You don't know the first thing about boxing. Please. I used to be known as the Don King of Sicily. (laughs) Of course, I used to wear my hair differently then. When the girls find out that the match is legit and that the prize money doubles if Pepe wins, they suddenly become much more interested in the outcome. The night before the fight, Pepe goes missing from his bedroom. And using an address they find, the girls track him to an old office building and are shocked to find Pepe isn't who they thought he was. He's a musician, a violinist, who needs his share of the purse money to pursue his dreams of attending Juilliard. Yes, he lied to the girls about not speaking English, but the ruse says more about society's prejudices than it does the man doing the lie. The Spanish, why did you pretend to only know Spanish? Part of the image. Cuban boxers are supposed to know their right from their left, not much else. And you think that we are that narrow-minded and prejudiced that we actually felt that way? You bought into it, didn't you? Hey, I didn't invent Kid Pepe. I just conform to your image of a simple-minded Hispanic fighter. Well, I am a Cuban. But hath not a Cuban eyes? Hath not a Cuban hands? Organs? Dimensions? Senses? Affections? Passions? Fed with the same food? Hurt with the same weapons? Subject to the same diseases? Healed by the same means? Warmed and cooled by the same winter and summer as you are? If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? I also considered auditioning for the actor's studio. (laughs) Pepe's coach, of course, doesn't want him to fight because his hands could get damaged. But Pepe is determined to make this happen. Over cheesecake back at the house, Blanche tells a sultry story about how she once helped the quarterback of her high school football team fulfill his destiny but we'll save that one for a later episode. Anyway, it hits them. What if Pepe took a dive? Just lay down. He doesn't hurt his hands, and he still walks out of the ring with enough money for all of them. At ringside the night of the fight, the girls tell Pepe their idea. He resists at first, but then he relents, getting TKO'd seconds after the opening bell. At the audition the next day, Pepe comes down with that most entertaining of ailments, acute, inconvenient television amnesia. Suddenly, he can't remember how to play the violin, 
and that means his audition is TKO'd too. Or not. With a little goading from the girls, Pepe launches into his Because I'm Cuban speech once again. The judges love Pepe's performance, and he aces the audition, getting it to Juilliard. The girls get their money back, Pepe lives his dream, and Sofia congratulates him on getting arrested in TV cop shows for the rest of his life. Pepe was played by actor Chick Venera. Venera, from Herkimer in upstate New York, has had a long career in show business on stage and on screen. After singing in school plays and nightclubs growing up, he continued performing during a stint in the Army Signal Corps and joined Disney on Parade upon his discharge. He later starred as Sonny in Greece on Broadway and won a Theatre World Award in 1977 for his work in the show Jockeys. He had bit parts in TV shows throughout the 70s and 80s, including Beretta, Vegas, TJ Hooker, Different Strokes, and Night Court, and had big screen roles in Ganks, directed by John Schlesinger, disco-era relic, Thank God It's Friday, and in Robert Redford's The Milagro Beanfield War, where he played the central character of Joe Mondragon. Venera then moved on to the world of animation voiceovers, where he's had roles on Batman Beyond, Bonkers, Darkwing Duck, Real Adventures of Johnny Quest, Static Shock, and Animaniacs, where he voiced the Joe Pesci stand-in of Pesto the Pigeon in the show's Good Feathers segments. Venera occupies a very interesting place in Golden Girls history. He's one of a handful of actors to play two different characters on the show, but his other role was even more memorable than his first, as Enrique Mas, investigative reporter and Rose's boisterous, egotistical boss at the TV station where they both worked. Venera made a lasting impression on the show, despite only appearing in two episodes as the character and being mentioned in dialogue in one other. There are several connections to the theater world in Fiddler on the Ropes, too. The title is obviously an allusion to Fiddler on the Roof, which was once the longest-running show in Broadway history. Fiddler on the Roof premiered on Broadway in September of 1964, and in the role of Yente the Matchmaker was a 42-year-old actress from Baltimore named Beatrice Arthur. Arthur played the role for nine months, and her singing can still be heard on the original cast recording. Rifkin, Rifkin, I have such news for you. Remember Perchik, that crazy student? Remember at the wedding when Seidel married Mottle and Perchik started dancing with Tevya's daughter Huddle? Well... I just learned that Perchik's been arrested in Kiev. No. Yes. Yep, that's her singing The Rumor. At one point in Fiddler on the Ropes, when Charlie the coach is trying to talk Pepe out of fighting, Dorothy references Golden Boy, the drama by playwright Clifford Odets, which premiered on stage in 1937. The movie version was produced in 1939, starring William Holden, Barbara Stanwyck, and Lee J. Cobb, and a musical version came out in 1964, starring Sammy Davis Jr. In Golden Boy... A young boxer named Joe Bonaparte puts his musical dreams on hold to dive into the seedy world of boxing, much of the dismay of his honest, hardworking immigrant father, played by Cobb with a super cartoony Italian accent in the movie. About the only thing Golden Boy and Fiddler on the Ropes have in common is a boxer who plays the violin. Fortunately, no one dies at the end of the Golden Girls episode, at least this time. Pepe's speech about equality is a version of Shylock's famous Hath Not a Jew Eyes plea in Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice. Parodies of the Bard are nothing new, of course, including for the Golden Girls. In 1967, Rue McClanahan starred in Macbird, an off-Broadway satire of Macbeth, written by Barbara Garson, which based its traitorous title role on then-President Lyndon Johnson. In the show, Macbird orchestrates the assassination of President John Ken O'Dunk, the play's version of John F. Kennedy. McClanahan, then a struggling actor from Oklahoma, starred as Lady Macbird, the play's harsh stand-in for First Lady Lady Bird Johnson. Stacey Keach, William Devane, and Cleavon Little were also featured in the production. Premiering only four years after the real JFK's death, this was a little bit controversial at the time. McClanahan once said, We had several bomb threats and had to vacate the premises while crews searched the theater, but nobody ever blew us up. 
The Golden Girls later did their own version of Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream in the two-part episode A Midwinter Night's Dream near the end of season seven. Sophia Petrillo may have once been the Don King of Sicily, but the only in America version of Don King isn't the same Don King he once was either. In a long 2013 article for Grantland, Jay Caspian Kang wrote of the then 81-year-old promoter, quote, the menace and power have left Don King. To most people these days, he's little more than a rap sheet and a haircut. Old American icons should never play their younger selves in public. When an aura fades, the seams start to show. And Don King, with his bombast, his circuitous way of talking, and his faded set of affectations, is nothing but seams. King's days is the biggest name in boxing are over, but his impact on the sport is undeniable. From the rumble in the jungle, to the thriller in Manila, to fighters like Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, Evander Holyfield, and Julio Cesar Chavez, to the many, many lawsuits, one from Mike Tyson for over $100 million that was settled out of court for $14 million, Don King was boxing for a good portion of the last 40 years. His is an incredible story of a guy who started running numbers in Cleveland and did four years in prison for manslaughter, using intelligence, sheer force of will, and almost complete ruthlessness to rise to the pinnacle of an entire industry. But oh, that hair. That ubiquitous shock of gray spikes never seems to fade. In 1990, Sports Illustrated's Franz Lid wrote the definitive Q&A with King about the legendary quaff that has been his trademark since the early 1970s. It's full of the circular answers, malapropisms, and famous, if irrelevant, quotes he's notable for. But between King calling his hair an aura from God that should serve as an inspiration to the world that anything is possible, he admits that it serves a more practical purpose as a talking point, either for the press or his employees. Of Tyson, King said, quote, He looks at mine and laughs at me. I look at his and laugh at him. He says, What are you laughing at? I say, I'm laughing because you talk about all the hair on your head when you hardly got no hair on that head. So you see, this brings a repartee and a rejoinder. Through hair, we've got something to banter about. I could tell him what significance my hair has vis-a-vis his has in significance. Tyson's hair only really becomes a critical factor in training. His opponents become afeared when they see hair budding on his face and under his chin. It tells a talc without him having to open his mouth. End quote. In 2016, a portion of a street in the Shaker Heights section of Cleveland was renamed Don King Way. On that same street sits the Call and Post, a newspaper King bought in 1998. Sophia's first reference to Don King happened all the way back in season one. In Adult Education, written by James Berg and Stan Zimmerman and directed by Jack Shea, Sophia wants to make sure she's on time for a hair appointment, because if she's not, strange things happen. The last time I was late, Ronald gave me the broken hairdryer. I came out looking like Don King. (laughs) There were also a few other boxing references on the Golden Girls. In the fifth episode of season three, called Nothing to Fear But Fear Itself, written by Susan Harris and Christopher Lloyd, The girls talk about their deepest fears as Rose agonizes over having to deliver a eulogy for her aunt. Blanche is surprised to learn that acerbic Dorothy can get scared too. Rose, listen, you're not the only one who's gone through this. I had a phobia too. You, Dorothy? You were afraid of some big old strong strapping thing like you? (laughs) Who am I, Joe Frazier? Legendary heavyweight champion Smokin' Joe Frazier had retired in 1981 with a record of 37 fights and 32 wins, 27 by knockout. He also had a music career in the late 70s with his band Joe Frazier and the Knockouts. No, seriously. Smoke and Joe was back on the Golden Girls in Season 5's And Ma Makes 3, written by Winifred Hervey. 
The girls are listening to one of Rose's stories in the kitchen. Unfortunately for Sophia, she was doing her listening from the other side of the door. Here's ever-sympathetic Sophia when Blanche and her sister Charmaine are fighting about the latter's tawdry romance novel in Season 5, Sisters and Other Strangers, written by Mark Cherry and Jimmy Wooten. Charmaine! Blanche, look who's here! It's Charmaine! Oh, good. Ringside seats. (laughs) The title, Sisters and Other Strangers, is a play on the 1970 film Lovers and Other Strangers, which also starred Beatrice Arthur. And finally, we get to Mike Tyson's connection to the Golden Girls. An entire, infinitely long podcast series can be done on the life, career, and crimes of the youngest heavyweight champion in boxing history. In fact, Tyson just started his own this summer. Tyson's life took some dark and disturbing turns later, including his conviction for the rape of Desiree Washington and the shocking biting of both of Evander Holyfield's ears during a highly anticipated comeback match. But for our purposes... Let's just say that in 1988 and 89, when these Golden Girls episodes ran, Tyson was both a sports and a tabloid star, winning fights with devastating knockouts and living a tumultuous life outside of the ring. In January of 1988, Tyson defended his title by knocking out Larry Holmes. A couple of weeks later, he married actress Robin Gibbons, one of the stars of ABC's Head of the Class. But less than five months later, she and her family publicly accused Tyson of domestic abuse. In September of that year, the pair appeared on a disturbing Barbara Walters special, in which Gibbons said living with the manic-depressive Tyson was, quote, pure hell, worse than anything I could possibly imagine. All the while, the silent Tyson looked on as if he didn't understand what language was being spoken. A month later, Gibbons filed for divorce. Tyson countersued. By the following February, almost a year to the day after they were married, the divorce was finalized. In the meantime, Tyson had several title defenses, a couple of street fights, a sued manager, two car crashes, one of which was reported as a possible suicide attempt, and more accusations of sexual assault by two New York women. All three Tyson references on the Golden Girls happened during season four, which aired between 1988 and 89. Here's Sophia in the 12th episode, called Blind Date, written by Lloyd, which aired in January of 1989. Why am I steamed? Fate took Pat Sajak off Wheel of Fortune. Well, that's because he has his own late-night talk show now. Oh, yeah, right. The man spins a big wooden wheel for eight years. Suddenly, he's discussing detente with Henry Kissinger. (laughs) What else happened lately? Mike Tyson hosting Masterpiece Theater? (laughs) Next was the line about Robin Givens heard at the top of this show. Her divorce from Tyson had only been completed a month before the episode aired. Finally, we have a line in episode 22, Sophia's Choice, written by Richard Vassie and Tracy Gamble, in which Sophia stalls for time while breaking an elderly friend out of a nursing home that's as bad as Shady Pines. They put a metal plate in her head. Now she gets HBO through her eyeballs. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. If Tyson has another fight, you may want to set her up in the rec hall. Fiddler on the Ropes is one of my favorite Golden Girls episodes. It's fun to see the girls slip so quickly into the shadowy world of amateur Cuban boxing in Miami, And I think it's clever in the way it takes the trope of the simple immigrant athlete and twists it to turn the lens on the girls and subsequently us, the viewers. Not only can the guy speak English, but he also plays the violin and is a Shakespearean actor. Yet somehow through sitcom magic, it all makes sense in the end. Uh, I remember watching the episode when it first ran, but I remember Enrique Moss even more. So I was surprised to find out later that A, Pepe and Enrique were played by the same actor... And B, that Enrique only appeared in two episodes. It felt like he was a bigger part of the show in those later seasons than he actually was. 
It's also an interesting episode in that there's no B story with an extra problem for the girls to solve. It's all of them involved in the one plot line, and that's pretty rare for the Golden Girls, in particular for an episode with a sports theme. As we'll see in later episodes of this series, the sports references are pretty isolated to subplots or just random jokes. Next time on Golden Girls Sports, we'll talk about Dem Bums, the Dodgers, from Brooklyn to Los Angeles to Sophia's Transistor Radio at a funeral for a mean old neighbor. Golden Girls Sports is written, produced, and narrated by Dan Saracini. The theme is Golden Sunrise, instrumental version by Josh Woodward, and is available at freemusicarchive.org. Visit goldengirlsportspodcast.com for show notes and references, and follow us on Twitter at Golden Girls SP. Thanks for listening. <laughs>